Welcome to the Woolwork Podcast. Welcome in. It's lovely to be back in my chair after my summer or later summer hiatus. What's that you say? Something different around here? Have I done something with my hair? Well, yes. Uh, The podcast is now called Woolwork. Uh, If this is news to you, then I suggest you go back one episode to episode 119 uh, where I discuss why. But long story short, um, Woolwork speaks to what's important to all of us. The value in making, the value in materials and everything that goes into creating those materials and everything that goes into creating textiles, um, skills, artistry. Uh, Yeah, so that's that's nutshell proportions, but there are many other reasons that I go into more in the um, previous episode. Uh, Thanks to everybody who let me know that they supported the change and felt included by the change. Uh, that's really, really, really kind of you. And I'm very grateful to those of you who particularly felt you could say that Knit British had been a geographical barrier um, or they'd felt excluded um, because of the name. I'm really sorry that you felt that way. Uh, but thanks for letting me know that you welcome the change. The Ravelry Group has been renamed. Um, it now is called Woolwork and you shouldn't need to do anything. You shouldn't need to re-sign up or anything like that. I'll keep formerly Knit British on there for a little bit longer till um, people get used to it maybe. Uh, and I've changed the name of the podcast uh, and the logo. So on, on your podcatchers or wherever you listen to your podcasts, uh, it should all say Woolwork. And if it doesn't, uh, that's your app that's hanging on to a cached version of the um, the artwork or the name. So um, if you can't get it to update, you can just unsubscribe from Woolwork and resubscribe and it should pop up with the new artwork and the new name. The website is going to change soon. You know, that's the bigger part of all of this is changing the website. And there are other things to do with the website. 
that I want to add and change um, for 2020. So that's just going to be a slower process. So I'm still going to be linking to knitbritish.net um, for the show notes and things. But links, um, if you get confused or, or you know, you're just not sure what's happening, links for the full show notes will be in the notes on your podcast app um, and they will lead you where, where you need to go and I'll let you know a bit more when the website's going to change. So there's already a website but I'm not going to, um, I'm not going to send you over there just now because there's nothing there. Um, so you can stick with nitbritish.net for the time being. Um, there are also things that I need to learn and things that I need to figure out um, with that so I'm not too much in a hurry to do that you know Knit British has done special special things I'm not changing the name to dismiss anything uh, that's grown out of Knit British I grew uh, and my stash grew and um, I learned so much because of Knit British and I know that um, you did too but Woolwork has grown from it too um, and I will still be making with only wool that is local to me and I will still be talking about that on the podcast. I will still be talking about British wool on the podcast because that's what I started this journey for. I wanted to find out what was on my doorstep and I hope that by telling you about my explorations and my journey with British wool and local wool that it would help enable you to seek out your local wool. And I'm looking f into a way to include more of your local in the show in 2020. Uh, you know, I want to um, take my hat off to everything that the title Knit British did and meant. And um, here's to wool work and all who sail in her. That doesn't sound right. Um, but I hope that you'll enjoy this part of the journey too. Um, not much else has changed. Um, so when I say grab a drink, grab a whip and let's get cracking. Hopefully that is still familiar to you. Um, and uh, let's do just that. While I've been on holiday, uh, uh, not I shouldn't say holiday because I haven't been on holiday. I have taken a break from the podcast, very well earned one. Um, I was in Shetland for a wedding. I wasn't at Wool Week, sadly, but it looked fantastic. And I have to say, it was quite sad having to leave, having to leave Shetland the week before Wool Week. That was hard. <laughs> but I have been thinking a lot about um, the podcast. Uh, in the remainder of this year and thinking about next year. But one of the first things that I wanted to do where, uh, with, you know, relaunching the podcast was to celebrate with a cow. And I'll talk a little bit more about that later, but hurrah, because we've not had a cow since field work. I mean, we have the Good Intentions Club, which is definitely a cal. Um, and we have uh, Wool Exploration, which is a bit of a cal too, I suppose, or an along, because we crochet and weave and things like that. Um, but a cal-cal. <laughs> so a little bit more about that 
um, a bit later. But I should mention, Good Intentions Club quarter four kicks off on the 1st of November. I, don't, I can't believe that. This year has just gone past ridiculously. Um, this is the Yarn and Pattern Club that we already own. Those projects that we bought the yarn for, that we always intended to make, but we just haven't quite got round to it. Good Intentions Club is your little... Uh, it's it's your little carrot on a stick. It's just a little opportunity to make good on those intentions. Uh, we've had some beauties in quarter three. Uh, B Lavender's Next Year in Lerwick sweater in Jimison and Smith and Blacker Classic. Very nice. Gojo's amazing Rainbow Wings shawl. Like, go over to the Woolwork group and have a look in the quarter three thread. Or just have a look at Gojo 63's projects. Incredible rainbow wings um, with yarn that she bought at Edinburgh Yarn Fest. Um, and Helen HFJ, uh, she did the Lamina Shawl. Uh, lots of amazing starts as well. But quarter three was mainly paved with intentions of good intentions, I think it's fair to say. You know, the, those good intentions, they'll just wait on your needles until quarter four. And if you don't get to them in quarter four, well, there'll always be opportunity for more good intentions. So what do you think you'll make in quarter four? The thread is now open or it will be open shortly. Our next cal that I just hinted at um, is going to take us from the 1st of December to February the 14th. So some of you will be able to double dip. I'm sure, when I tell you more about it, I'm sure some of you will be able to double dip with quarter four of the Good Intentions. Um, but after after that, Good Intentions is going to take a break, I think, um, because, as I say, I've, I've got another cal planned. Um but I love the Good Intentions Club. I, I, and thank you for participating with it. And thank you for um, finding, you know, I'm glad that it's been a good impetus um, to get some of those projects going. Um, and I'm excited to see what you intend to make in quarter four. A couple of weeks ago, I was at Fine Fettle Fibres in Felton in Northumberland. Uh, you might remember that last year I went and did a, a talk um, there and um, a very good time I had. Uh, and Judith Goodfellow, who is the purveyor of yarns at Fine Fettle Fibres, she'd been keen to get to organise a hands-on wool exploration day. And um, it was great. There were classes with Zoe Fletcher, who is the woolist. And um, myself and Judith and Johnny King from Garthanor hosted a, a really broad look at wool from Fleece. Uh, and I, uh, which was Johnny and his mum Sally, um, who did a fleece demonstration. And I did a talk about all of the things that can impact the kind of yarn and fabric you'll get and how different breeds come into play with that. Uh, and then we talked about how different stitches have a massive part to play in what you can get out of a fabric and what you can get out of a, um, a different breed wool and all the different unique characteristics and textures. And in the afternoon, there were talks from Johnny and Zoe and also Alice Underwood, who is uh, one of the 
Officers for the Rare Breed Survival Trust in Cumbria. She's also co-founder of um, the yarn shop Sheepfold. And they gave a talk about their work. Uh, and then we had a QA and a um, about British wool and what we can do as uh, consumers of yarn <laughs> uh, 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 to support rare breeds and support British wool. And so I thought over the next couple of episodes I would just bring you um, that series of talks and make a, a big make a focus of it um, because you know it is a huge part of our own education and learning here and also it makes a lovely focus of what was an excellent day at Fine Fettle Fibres. I'm going to bring you Johnny King uh, who talked about Garthenor. Johnny is the creative director for Garthenor. Uh, Garthenor started in the 1990s creating yarn from their own sheep flocks in West Wales and they expanded faster uh, than their own flock could uh, cope with and they now create and source and produce certified organic wool and wool products. So here Johnny talks about creating breed specific yarns uh, and how there's a, a use for every different kind of wool um, so this is Johnny. Really briefly what we do um, um, we work with, directly with farmers all over the UK to source their wool um, and we spin it um, into breed specific yarns um, one thing that we we try and do is to allow each of the breeds to really come to the fore rather than trying to hide the characteristics of the wool which you will find lots of mills do. They will say that they do a Herdwick yarn, but in fact it's Herdwick blended with maybe a Merino or a finer yarn. Well, that doesn't really promote the Herdwick yarn, you're just using it as a, as a selling point. So something that we try and do is to bring those characteristics to the fore. As, as we were talking about this morning, we, we have uses for all these different types of, of yarn. They may not all be suitable for shawls, they may not all be suitable for hats, they may not all be suitable for socks, but there's something that we can find there. So that's, that's sort of re really briefly what we do. Um, in terms of the, the challenges and, and opportunities of, of spinning the red wool, initially I think the obvious is that there isn't much of it. So to be able to get together enough to spin can be a real challenge. Whether you're working directly with farmers, a lot of rare breed flocks are small, so you might only have 10 sheep. So to, to get together enough to be able to spin is a real challenge. Working through organisations such as British Wool, they tend to lump together like grades, and they tend to, to sell it then under grades that aren't actually representative of breeds. So we, we were talking earlier that the, the British will have about at least half a dozen grades called Radnor. Well, Radnor just came up there as a rare breed. So how can you have enough wool across the country to, to get together half a dozen different, different grades, each of which might have a thousand tonnes of wool? Um, so if you're trying to source this rare breed wool to be able to promote rare breeds, it's not necessarily something that can be easily done in terms of sourcing the, the fibre itself. So what we do is we work directly with these small producers. It can be a lot more difficult, um, but we, we try and 
and sort of combine journeys and work with, with groups of flocks, with breed societies to be able to source enough to be able to spin. Um, in terms of spinning, the, the biggest challenge is finding a mill that, that will do it. Um, there, are, there are a handful around the country that will work with, with traditional British breed wool and with rare breed wool. A lot of them, which is something that's fantastic for the industry, is a lot of them are, are massively overbooked. But you speak to a lot of the commercial mills and they will try and steer you away from, from if, if you go in there and say that we want a Blackwash Mountain or we want uh, Hill Radnor or something, they'll say, well, you, don't really, you don't really want that. If we, if we blend it in with this, you'll, it'll sell much better. Um, so again, there's, there's this hurdle to overcome because in terms of the wool, we've been so conditioned to using the, only the finer types um, in the UK, o only Blueface Leicester, that's, that's the only one worth spinning. And it's a fantastic fibre, but it's about understanding and it's about educating the mills that, that spin these fibres that they all have their own, their own uses. Um, something that, that, that is a real challenge as well, even if you can convince them, not all of them can spin it. There's a, there's a thought that each yarn is, it has the same level of, of difficulty to spin, but uh, a carder that is set up for spinning Blueface Leicester, or for carding Blueface Leicester, simply can't handle something like a Herdwick or a, or a Blackface. So it's, a, it's also about finding the mills that are willing to invest in machinery that will process these fibres. There are a handful around the UK, um, but, but there aren't enough. And the more, the more that the events like this happen and things, the more it, it helps to convince these mills that, that people want it. Um, another Another problem in terms of the mills is the, the time and the expense in, in getting a yarn. Anybody who, who may have a, a flock of sheep or anything and has, has tried to get that spun, you're talking two years to get a yarn and, and many thousands of pounds. So a lot of people are put off, even if they know that there's a demand for it, it's, it's a challenge. I think having said that, there's a there's a tendency to look at those challenges and say that it's not worth it. I like to think that we're slightly showing that it, it is worth it. Um, and talking about the opportunities, there's so many shows around the UK now, yarn shows. There's so many yarn shops that are, that are focusing on British breed wool, on smaller, smaller yarn brands um, that, that really give an opportunity to be able to to source those fibres, to spin those fibres, and eventually to be able to knit with them. So it, it really does impact the more that you, that you buy these fibres and buy these yarns, people do take notice and it, it slowly filters back. And if we're able to pay a farmer a fair price for their, for their fleece, they're going to continue producing it. Another challenge, I suppose, is that in terms of selling, you're all here because you have an interest in, in these specific fibres. One thing that we find is that 
<laughs> it takes a bit of selling. It takes a bit of convincing to, to be able to do that. Um, so with, with events like this, where you're able to promote that they all have their own uses and characteristics, it, it's about educating. Um, but I think, I think that there's, there's potential there. <laughs> it's really interesting, isn't it, to hear from Gerthnor's perspective as a mill about creating wool specifically for getting the best out of that breed uh, characteristics to create a really um, brilliant yarn for whatever purpose. I, I have a lot to love about what Johnny was saying there and about the the ethos and vision that Garthenor have for creating yarn and again you know we're sort of preaching to the converted here because Woolwork listeners will know this well but we do have to look beyond the label sometimes you know if you pick up a yarn and you think hmm I don't think that's Shetland wool or I don't think that's Herdwick wool has it been spun to represent a Shetland-like wool or has it been blended with anything um, we have to be the the people who uh, make the change because we are the consumers. So it, it needs to be driven by what it is that that we want, and we are the the uh, the potential educators. We have to take up that mantle. That potential for education uh, for other wool buyers lies in us to advocate um, for wool and to show others what we can do with wool and show others what we know about breed wool. Uh, I know there will be lots of you who are feverishly nodding along with that, going, yeah! Um, thanks very much to Johnny for... Um, uh, permitting me to record his talk. Um, next month, I'll bring you Alice Underwood's talk about being a Rare Breed Survival Trust Officer for Cumbria uh, and talking about the work that the Rare Breed Survival Trust do. If you are interested in learning more about Garthenor, you can or buying their yarn, you can go to www.garthenor.com. And if you're interested in more workshops and finding out more about the events offered at Fine Fettle Fibres in Felton, or you wish to uh, see some of the yarns that Judith has in her shop or and make purchase of them, you can visit www.finefettlefibres.uk. Thank you so much to everyone who participated uh, in the day with us there. It was just brilliant and it was, you know, I always come away with a warm, wooly feeling um, after a day like that. And um, it's lovely to be interacting with um, some people who might never have tried breed wool before and uh, lovely to see that enthusiasm and um, sort of people punching the air going, oh my goodness, having eureka moments. So um, thank you so much to all of you who were there that day. I know wool work listeners are fans of a cow, aren't you? We've had quite a lot of cows over the years here, haven't we? We've had, well, we were part of the Lush Pod Cow. Um, we did the Hap Along, we did the Book of Haps Along, um, we did Nature Shades, two of them, um, Scully Along, of course, uh, Fieldwork, uh, numerous pod cows for EYF. But one thing that is similar in all of the cows, with the exception of the Lush cal and the scully along is that i like to host a cal that is open to 
really any design um, and you know it gives you the opportunity to um, maybe tackle your first something you know first sweater first colour work first lace first cables first time using natural coloured yarns first time using British wool or local wool and I like it to be inclusive in that you can you know, it doesn't matter how long it takes. I mean, I'm putting my hand up here, but, you know, slowest knitter ever here. Um, I need, I like a nice long cowl and a nice long lead-in to plan and just chat with you guys about what we're going to do. That nice long lead-in and that nice long time t- for the duration of, of the knit-along, it, that really speaks to my own love of slow I mean, I am slow, but I love it. You know, I love the process. So I'm selfish is what I'm telling you. <laughs> that I like a nice long girl. Um, but also it's great because, you know, sometimes you get through more than you ever thought you could. Like during the um, first hap along, I, I can't remember if I did three or four different hap patterns in that time. Sky along. I don't think I finished at all. <laughs> the lush podcal. I had to finish making it in the whip crack away cal that I did with um yarns on the plane back then. Remember that whip crack away cal? Yeah, I, I really love I love um the aspect of you being you know, having the, the creativity to choose whichever design you would so like to wish and so like to wish, so wish to knit and or make and just plenty of time to do it in. And also again the beauty that you can knit a garment, you can knit accessories you can make a blanket you can make you know kids stuff whatever that's kind of the nice goal about previous knit british cows and that's certainly what i want to bring forward into the first wool work cow uh but to be slightly different it is going to be knit anything you want but it's going to be a designer based cow so from the cast on date which will be the first of december to Valentine's Day, the 14th of February, you can make absolutely any project in this knit-along that has been designed by Tin Can Knits. I am so utterly delighted to be hosting a Tin Can Knits-along you know, there's hardly an episode of this podcast that goes by where they don't get a mention. Uh, a new design or a pattern someone is making in the good intentions or, um, you know, a suggestion for a pattern when we're talking about, in wool exploration, when we're talking about what we think this wool would be best suited to. Uh, you know, Tin Can Knits, the unwritten cast member of every episode of this podcast just about um so it's long overdue it's a long time since we did the the lush podcal and i've been thinking about doing a tin can knits along for such a long time i know that it's something uh, that uh, loads of you are going to be nodding and thinking oh yeah i'm, I'm gonna make this or i can finally make this or and as i said before good intentions you'll be able to double dip with the good intentions club um so so I I hope that you're as excited to participate as I am 
very soon I will open a thread in the Woolwork Ravelry group and you can discuss what you want to make, what you plan to make, what you'd like to make, what you'd like to make it in. Um, there's going to be no strict rules about only using British wool, um, but you will be encouraged to seek out your local yarns as ever. Um, but you can make in whatever you can get your hands on, my friends. Um, throughout November, I'll have a few inspiration posts on Tin Can Knits designs on the blog in case you are entirely stuck, though I suspect not. And although I've just said you can knit with, with whatever materials you'd like, I think I will probably try and do a little roundup from wool exploration where Tin Can Knits designs have been um, suggested by wool explorers just for that added dimension of wool uh, and wool work. It will come to no, as no surprise to you that I am planning another lush and I'm going to make it in Wensleydale long wool again and I'm going to use a different colour and I already have the colour, I already have the yarn. Um, it's a bit of a good intention for me as well. I'll talk more about uh, that next time but there are loads of things in my and in my uh, library that are tin can knits so if you're anything like me we are going to be totally spoiled for choice. Are you in? Um, hop on over to Woolwork group on Ravelry and let me know and I will try and remember to open uh, the thread just uh, before I put this podcast out. Um, I've been having a little think uh, about wool exploration breeds for 2020 uh, and I'll mention that uh, next episode I'm thinking probably four or five for next year is sensible um, I've actually also been thinking about um, going forward um, perhaps 2021 as well um, but again we'll chat more about that next episode uh, to introduce you to this month's breed um, I'm going to read from Adam Henson's new book, A Breed Apart, My Adventures with British Rare Breeds. Uh, and it's the Norfolk Horn. And he says, it's a meaty, leggy, black-faced sheep, which is Norfolk through and through, and whose stories should sound a klaxon for anyone who cares about conservation. Descended from the Saxon sheep of the eastern counties, the Norfolk Horn came from Breckland, the dry, sandy heathland that sits on the border of Norfolk and Suffolk. Brex was the name given to the fields that were broken from the heath and used briefly for growing until the soil was depleted. If you've never heard of Breckland, you're not alone. It's firmly in the shadow of better known and more popular visitor areas such as the Norfolk Broads and East Anglian beaches. In the, in the medieval boom, Norfolk horn fleece was used to make warm, strong worsted cloth. In the 1400s, worsted, named after the village of Worstead, was considered to be the glory of Norfolk. The sheep were rangy animals, meaning they could literally range the landscape, roaming the gorse-covered countryside, covering miles every day to find enough grass good enough to survive. But the decline of the breed was long and slow. 200 years ago, it was said to be facing extinction. Numbers were down to uh, one flock shortly after the First World War, and by 1950, there were just a dozen. 
If there was one rare breed which rang alarm bells, this was it. He goes on to say, As we've seen, farming can be a fickle business and the decline of the poor old Norfolk horn was largely down to incredible success and popularity of the Suffolk sheep. At the end of the 1960s, there were three lambs left and five infertile yows, which is pretty much as close to extinction as you can get while still having sheep to look at. Something needed to be done quickly, and all eyes turned to Bembera, where Dad put one of the last remaining rams, named Enoch, to a group of Suffolk yows. Their daughters were then put to one of the other survivors, and so on in a cycle. This is known as the breeding back programme. By the time the last purebred ram had died of old age, we created a new Norfolk horn, which was more than 80% pure and went on to be accepted as the modern continuation of the breed. It was a great personal success for Dad and it helped put the Rare Breed Survival Trust on the map. So there's a lot of Henson heritage in a Norfolk horn and understandably, there's never been a time where they haven't been a major attraction on the farm at home. They say that if the ravens ever leave the Tower of London, then the building and the crown will fall. And I can't help feeling the same way about the Norfolk Corn and the farm park. So a century after the Norfolk Corn was down a single flock and almost 50 years since it was, quotes, reinvented, how's the breed faring now? Well, it's still very much a rare breed with fewer than 3,000 registered yows in the UK. And the last figures even show a slight dip in numbers. He's, but I can take some heart from the fact that on the animal, the annual danger list, uh, it's in the minority breed category, or least worse, if you prefer. The truth is that the Norfolk Horn has been so closely associated with my home and has been such a figurehead for rare breed conservation generally that I'll do everything in my power to ensure it's around for a very long time. There was a couple of little passages that I missed out there, but that's... Um, from Adam Henson's book, A Breed Apart. Really, really interesting to hear about his family association with the Norfolk Horn. His dad, of course, being Joe Henson, a name we've heard um, quite a lot during wool exploration. Um, it was another breed that he he brought back from the brink. Others that we've heard about in wool exploration have been uh, Castle Milk Murat, uh, North Ronaldty. As Adam Henson mentioned, the Norfolk Horn were instrumental in creating the Suffolk breed, along with South Downs. Uh, the Suffolks were a docile and good meat sheep. Um, I have such a soft spot for Suffolks. They're so cute with those long, loppy lugs. I love them. So the Suffolks were obviously, you know, a good, good commercial breed to 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 go for. Um, the new Norfolk Horn, the Fleece and Fibre book, uh, Fleece and Fibre source book tells us, confirms that Norfolk Horn is closer to the old Norfolk Horn breed than the Suffolks who helped breed it back. Uh, and the wool now, well, I've already mentioned Southdowns and Suffolks, and this breed is in the same fibre category, um, it's similar to those. It's in the down group. Um, these are our fine fibred friends. Uh, micron count around 26 to 29 microns. I was kind of surprised at that, actually. Um, that's really, really fine. Some sources put it at over 30, but when you think of soft wool yarns, you don't often think of Norfolk horn. Um, that doesn't really come to your mind. Until now. As... Henson wrote, they're leggy, agile, um, they're 
strong sheep. They produce a fleece that is around a kilogram and a half to two kilograms. Staple length is three to four inches, uh, blocky. It's got a well-defined crimp, but the crimp can be really disorganized. Uh, natural color is white, but with beautiful dark hairs throughout, peppered throughout. Norfolk corn is on the Rare Breed Survival Trust watch list, as mentioned. Um, 1,500 to 3,000 um, breeding yows registered. Um, it's what the minority breed um, would be. And um, we're going to look now at what our wool explorers thought of Norfolk corn. But I did want to mention, I think, I think when we, I think when we, looked at the Manx there was a report that um, when the breed was so rare that the there was a Manx that was sort of kept in a, in a zoo as a, a sort of artifact of the, you know one of the last of its breed and when the Norfolk corn was on its route to extinction apparently there were Norfolk corn in um, Whipsnade Zoo before being rescued by Joe Henson but I kind of wanted to show the a nice bookend to that is that Recently, I read a, a report about sheep being put on Hampstead Heath in London to graze, um, which is apparently the first time since the 1950s to sort of boost wildlife habitats of the flock that are Norfolk Horn sheep and Oxford Down as well. But uh, Norfolk Horns grazing on Hampstead Heath in London, um, which is just, just lovely. I just think that's fantastic. Great for, for boosting wildlife habitats. I just think that you know, at one point it was, it was so so rare that it was in a zoo, and um, now it's helping bring back, um, take care of wildlife habitats in Hampstead Heath. It's wonderful. Anyway, let's see how you got on, um, our wool explorers this month. Um, so this month, uh, for wool exploration, we had Bellara nineteen, Drainold one, Wooly Ellie, Becky P. Penny Bro, who I think this is your first time doing wool exploration, so a special hello to you. Erica Eccles, uh, Catherine Harding, Dry Gardening, and me. We had three spinners uh, this month, and um, the rest of us mostly four double knits and two four plies in the mix, and uh, all woolen spun i think with the exception of um one of drain old ones um hand spun a bit of a comparison um but we shall we shall see um so thank you to everybody um first of all who um took part uh, in wool exploration and um a special thank you to those that i sort of gently ear burned over in the wool work uh, Ravelry group because I, I do know that some of the community there have used Norfolk Horn in the past and I want, wondered if any of those would like to come forward and tell us how they had found um, Norfolk Horn and so I'll I'll perhaps bring some of those experiences in a little bit later. First up we had Bella Ra 19, Belinda and she hand spun um, some woolen spun uh, yarn from Arenweight. Um, she got her Norfolk horn from Witchwood Spinner on Ravelry. 
She said, in the bat, it felt greasy, spongy and soft, with no sheepy smell, sadly, she says. My cat loved it. She gave it a good mashing and a taste test. It was lovely to spin. However, it was greasier than I had initially thought uh, as it warmed up in my hands. It spun easily, finer than I intended, with no nips. I stripped the bat and um, spun it woolen. I washed the skin in lukewarm water and thwacked it. Such a great word, thwacked. Drain old one, uh, she uh, spun lace weight, worsted and woolen. And she said of the hand squish grab, thumb wound balls, worsted and woolen, all felt firm and resilient, soft to the fingers and upper lip. All had a slight halo. Worsted yarns were more even. There was a light sheen to the worsted. Woolen was luminous. Woolen bloomed a little when soaked as a yarn and hung to dry. Uh, her initial thoughts for use knitted up was uh, next to the skin light wear unless a multiply worsted. And she said stitch definition should be good. Uh, Willy Ellie, she hand spun sport weight, uh, woolen spun Norfolk horn in um, wool that she got from Wingham's. She said sheepy smell, lovely sprinkling of dark fibres giving an overall greyish appearance, soft, a little greasy, good squish, zero prickle from the roving around the neck but not soft. Uh, Becky P, she was using a double knit from Black Bat Rare Breeds and she said the yarn has a nice sheepy smell and feels good through the hands. Feels okay when rubbed on my cheek but has a slight halo and feels strong when pulled. She initially thought that a hat um, would be the right thing to make. Uh, Penny Bro. Uh, she was using a four-ply uh, Norfolk horn from Kentwell Farm, or a big pardon, Kentwell Hall. She said the hand squish grab was very bouncy, springy and crisp. Erica Eccles uh, was knitting with a four-ply from Fibre Workshop, which is very local to uh, Lisa Jane. She says, nice and dense, has little bounce. Slightly dry leaf swoosh and rustle against my fingers. Beautiful colour with a fine deep grey, almost black strands uh, included in the yarn. Catherine Harding, she was using a, a double knit Norfolk horn from Nude U, which uh, is a great name. <laughs> she said initially uh, this looked quite ordinary and everyday and would probably have caught and probably would not have caught my attention if I hadn't been doing wool exploration. She says, as a lovely sheepy smell, and on running the yarn through my fingers, it has a wonderful, strokeable texture. Dry gardening uh, was using natural wool, Norfolk Horn Double Knit, and I found out that this is the same company as the natural yarn double knit. In fact, it's the same yarn that I bought. I'll try and remember to say natural wool for dry gardening and natural yarn for me, but they both come from uh, Essex, uh, where Jean Cairns, uh, who runs the company, um, sells it. Um, on Etsy, they are called natural wool, but on their website, they are natural yarn. 
Dry gardening said the put-up is a 100-gram skein, described as double-knit, 200 metres, wool and spun. Uh, squeezing the skein, the yarn fibre feels like it has spring and bounce. Matte with a unique natural colour and patterning, resulting from black or dark fibres uniformly but not predominantly. Mixed amongst the white and light fibres, it does not feel prickly or rough in the skein. I was using that same Norfolk Horn yarn, which came uh, comes from the National Trust Wimpole Hall, I believe. I thought it felt downy in the skein and springy and elastic. Uh, again, I thought also I wrote down matte, um, but there is a little reflection of light on the skein and the colour, well, porridgey uh, was the word that I used. So what about observances while swatching? Belinda, Bellara19, uh, she was swatching the Nora Gochen Orb cable with her chain plied hand spun Aaron. And she said it felt very greasy still in her hands despite having been washed and thwacked. Uh, the yarn feels really spongy and springy uh, and easily convinced to twist into cables. Uh, the yarn being so greasy meant that she needed to readjust it in her hands to keep it flowing through. The yarn doesn't feel prickly in the ball. The cables pop beautifully and the garter feels very squishy. Irregul irregularities in the yarn are apparent, but down to me as a spinner, she says. Uh, the garter ridges stand proudly and it looks lovely and textural. Uh, Drainold, with her hand-spun lace weight woolen and worsted, she said... Uh, her observance has been swatching. Soft hand, feels warm. Very slight prickle against the jaw. Stitch definition is good in the worsted and not bad in the semi-woolen. Uh, slippery on the aluminium needles. She says the worsted is not elastic despite the crimp and the woolen is more so. She, she did um, honeycomb and she did Estonian nups and she said the nup section uh, was fuzzier in the woolen spun yarn. Um, uh, Wooly Ellie with her wool, woolen spun sport from Wingham's, she said pleasant amount of lanolin while she was swatching and the wool was lovely and springy. Becky P with her double knit from black bat she said i enjoyed working with this yarn it feels solid and it's a good workhorse the yarn moves through my hands well penny bro and her uh, uh, observance as well stitching she said knitted up beautifully nice flecks of the darker color occasionally bit of fuzz and halo to the swatch uh, she felt that it wouldn't be good for close to her skin, but thought it might make a nice cardigan. Uh, Erica Eccles said that uh, the Norfolk Horn, surprise, surprise, she's here with the food, the food analogies again, which is going to make us all hungry. Uh, she says, makes me think of a good crumb in a homemade bread. Uh, there's softness, but also a slightly dry crumble. She says, it has what I think of as a proper wool feel as I rub the swatch between my thumb and finger. In a certain light, it's it's uh, the oatmeal has a slight cobwebby grey cast. I would totally agree with that um, proper wool. Yeah, I, I, I know exactly what you mean. Um, 
Catherine Harding with her nude you, uh, Norfolk Corn, she says, This yarn really grew on me while knitting. It was really lovely to knit with. The soft texture of the yarn combined with the slightly fuzzy appearance strongly reminded me of a very much uh, loved old teddy bear. By the end of the swatch, I was really taken with it, not splitty or difficult to manipulate. And uh, you might remember that she said she wouldn't have probably, it wouldn't have caught her attention had she not been doing it for wool exploration. So that's nice. Dry Gardening said it was nice uh, and elastic, easy to manipulate for twisted stitches and cabling. Excellent for stitch definition. She said it was a very pleasant yarn to knit with. It was comfortable in the hand. Complete swatch felt soft against my face and pliable with low to moderate drape. Matte with subtle, unique, natural colour and patterning. Brings black and white uh, pointillism art to mind. Beautiful. Thank you for that, dry gardening. I I just loved how boingy that yarn was in the ply and how, you know, it's made up of three plies in the strand and that is my favourite kind of put up. I just love a three plied yarn, not not to be, um, you know, not meaning a weight of yarn, but just that that construction of three plies in the strand. So it's great for lovely textured stitches. Um, it's the best spin for plumpness, I think, of of stitches. Um, it reminds me a little bit of Shetland wool. Um, those garter stitches are so proud. Um, I'm knitting. I was knitting the. Tinkanitz Polygon, um, really, really enjoyed um, knitting with the Norfolk Horn. Uh, wash, block and wear, test one. Uh, Bella Ra, 19, washed her swatch in Superman, supermarket brand eucalyptus wool wash and warm water and dried it on a clothes horse over the heater. She says she blocked it lightly with pegs, but no... Um, change in size. The swatch is somewhat greasy and stiff. Both the garter and the cables look better. The swatch initially felt prickly against my belly and cheek, but not unpleasantly so. I tucked it into my PJs and I slept with it against my belly, only noticing how lovely and warm it felt next to my skin uh, and adjusted to the wooliness, uh, and my skin adjusted to the wooliness of it. My fellow knitter housemate also remarked on how lovely the cables are. Get you, you know, just being intrepid and all, just sleeping with a swatch. I mean, that's the proper wear test, isn't it? Um, Drain Old One, washed with Usulan wool wash as per label, rolled in a towel and pressed it out to extract most of the water. She pinned it out square to air dry. Uh, she said... When it was wet, it wanted to bias, and when it was dry and rested, um, it didn't bias so much. On the jaw, there was less prickle. She says less lanolin, question mark. Um, she says the water was quite cloudy. I Yeah, I would say probably it's washed a bit of that grease out. Uh, worn under brass strap, very warm feel at first, not prickly at all, but I did absentmindedly itch now and then, and I realised why. Wooly Ellie, she says she soaked hers in eucalyptus and hot water and gently stretched it to shape. Wore it in her bra for two days whilst volunteering at Fibre East. Didn't notice it at all. Uh, it's slightly softer and more cohesive. Gave it a good rough rubbing against itself between my knuckles for about 20 seconds and several pills appeared. 
Becky P with her black bat, Norfolk Horn. She said soaked for 30 minutes in Usalan and blocked 17.5 centimetres square. The swatch feels a little smoother and softer. The pattern looks nice. Worn under my bra strap for a day and it's fine against the skin and feels worn. The swatch held its shape and could be smoothed back into shape after the day's wear. Penny Bro did her first wash, block and wear. Uh, she said soaked in use land for 30 minutes and dried flat but did not pin out. Uh, didn't change the size at all. Worn in bra and inside of thigh in chub rub shorts. Minor, minor uh, initial prickle then forgot about it. Good stitch definition. Uh, swatched uh, with cables and lace. Brilliant. Thank you for that penny bro. Erica Eccles with her uh, very, very local Norfolk horn. She washed hers in hot water in Uslan and left for two hours. No gurgle or burbling as it laid in the water, but you could see the colour of the wool change as it slowly began to absorb the water till the oatmeal hue became almost a translucent honey gold. Fabric had a good plump feel, airy, not over heavy. Cables had risen up nicely. Think of a loaf of bread again, she says. Mm. Uh, I gave the swatch a very hard rub on itself till the wool feels right warm. And she said there was some pilling, but it lifted off like a cobweb haze. <clears throat> Catherine Harding with her nude you. She says she put the swatch in hand hot water with a few drops of wool wash added and left it all day. Then I rolled up in a towel and pinned it out for 24 hours. The stitches became really well defined and the lace pattern stood out very clearly. It held its block shape very well. The size of the swatch didn't change much. Uh, she says 18 by uh, 18.5 by 19.5 centimetres. But the stitches were more even and the swatch looked properly square. Wore it tucked into the waistband of my jeans for an afternoon. At first it did feel a bit prickly, but it soon settled down and it became a cosy sensation over my side. Dry gardening with her first wash, block and wear. She soaked it with lukewarm water for about three hours and the water rinsed clear. Uh, the swatch relaxed during soaking but did not expand significantly in size as some other fibre swatches, uh, even cables do. It held its block close to perfectly. Uh, low to moderate drape, worn directly against the chest all day engaging in uh, daily activities with lots of movement. No discomfort, she says, for me, this is next to the skin soft. And I was using the same wool from Natural Yarn. I soaked in Usalan for a few hours in hand hot water and I just eased the hexagon into into shape. I, I just um, pressed onto a towel with my fingers instead of pinning it. Um, the dry swatch was very springy Um after after I left it to dry, it did spring back just a little um, from 6.5 inches to just under that. But um, it didn't change much. Uh, I wore it under my bra strap for the morning. And I thought that I might feel this one just because it was so springy um, and because it it's quite dense. But no, it was almost like a second, second skin. In the second wash, block and wear... Uh, Belinda Bellara with her um, handspun Aaron 
she washed it in the hottest water from the tap in the same wool wash as before and dried it in the sun, pegged onto the clothes horse. Once I took it off, I noticed the swatch was significantly more drapey, larger and less rigid. The super hot tap water got the remaining grease out completely, but no felting. The cables and garters still look amazing. Stocking stitch between the cables feels gorgeously smooth. Wore the swatch against my tummy and the back of my tights all night and the next day, only noticing that it felt a bit hot but not prickly. Just a woolly acknowledgement as you breathe and move around. I love that. A woolly acknowledgement from your swatch that you wear. <laughs> Drain old one. Uh, same wash and dry technique. The water was less cloudy and there was less desire for it to bias this time. I patted it into shape using a few pins, uh, a little more halo, but uh, nups and stitch definition still good in the worsted. Uh, the woolen uh, stitch is getting fuzzier. Nice drape uh, in the fine singles. Same prickle against the cheek. Worn, tucked into my sleeve at wrist and then under bra strap. Same occasional absent-minded itch. Uh, Woolly Ellie washed hers in the machine for the second wash block and wear. Uh, this is her hand-spun sportweight Norfolk horn that she used from a roving from Wiggums, Wingums. Um, she washed it in the machine with biological powder at 20 uh, degrees, gentle wash and dried uh, on the line, uh, pegged on the line. She says definitely a slightly fooled look around the stitches once dried, worn in the brass strap on a lazy day around the house. Ah, uh, this is Becky P with her second wash block and wear. Uh, soaked for 30 minutes in Uslan and blocked to 16 centimetres square. The swatch looks the same at a casual glance, uh, but this time I wore the swatch by my hip for the day and it felt smooth and warm. Again, it held its shape well and just needed smoothing back into shape. Penny Bro with her Kentwell Hall. Um, she washed uh, as before. She didn't see uh, any change in size at all. Uh, she wore it in her bra and in, uh, inside thigh. Uh, and no prickle at all. No pilling, but a bit more, a bit more halo maybe. She thinks. Erica Eccles with her fibre workshop Norfolk Horn. She says warm to hot water with German non-foaming wool wash, which contained lanolin. Uh, swatch was pinned out. Uh, the faintest mist of fine fibres are over the stitches, but nothing detracts from the stitch definition. This isn't a glossy wool. It's a beautiful, flat, matte hue that slowly takes on a delicate luster the more it is worn and has skin contact. Continued with the furious rubbing of the swatch itself, and this time pilling did not appear. How interesting. Uh, Catherine Harding... <clears throat> with her nude you. As she said, for the second wash, I washed it in cold water without anything added for an hour. It just lay, and then I just laid it out on the blocking board with no pins. After 24 hours, I wore it all morning, firstly over my shoulder inside my t-shirt, and then secondly around my arm inside my sleeve. The appearance of the swatch didn't change much compared with how it looked after the first wash, wash block and wear, but it was noticeably softer. This time, I didn't have any prickliness when I put it against my skin in either location, and I also tried holding it against my neck and face, which was completely fine. Dry Gardening tossed her 
uh, natural yarn Norfolk horn in a load of laundry, usual detergent, uh, on a normal cycle using hot water and two cold water rinses. And then it went in a dry tumble dry, in the tumble dryer on one and a half hours with no heat. She says there's some tightening and minimal fuzzing of the surface. However, the stitch pattern remains clearly visible. Still low to moderate drape. Post second watch, the change um, is approximately 15.4% decrease widthwise and 14.9% decrease lengthwise from the blocked swatch size. Worn directly against my chest all day, engaging in daily activities with lots of movement and no discomfort. Well, with my wool, which was the same, um, I soaked mine in Shetland Soap Company wool wash for a shorter time than the last soak um, because I forgot about it last time uh, and I pinned out to 7 inches um, I couldn't find my blocking mat so I used a towel which actually was really yeah I was using blocking pins on my on a folded towel and it was a bit harem scaring but I, I blocked out to 7 inches um, between the points I think if I had my mat I would have been able to block it more aggressively um, I left it pinned for a day and then I left it unpinned for a day um, and it didn't shrink back. It had the crispest definition I've seen in a, in a um, woolen spun wool, uh, certainly for a long time. I, I, um, I really wonder how lace would look in this. I'm definitely going to try. Um, I wore it against my shoulder and my upper arm and I forgot it was there. In fact, it was the lovely fellow who pointed out at bedtime. Uh, it still measures seven inches and it's still looking crisp and has a fantastic um, small amount of drape. And I would agree uh, that it seems to be getting a bit more luminous and a bit more lustrous. I'm really, really kind of disappointed in myself. I haven't explored Norfolk Horn in any great extent before now. I have Norfolk Horn swatches um, that I knit for events and things like that but I you know I I think I, I think they're garter I well this is garter but I I don't think I really really had time to appreciate uh, and test it out and I'm so glad that I did um were there any third wash block and wears let's see um yes uh drain old one she Washed with Uselan again as per the label. Scrubbing the left side stockinette against itself. It caused some uh, fooling and stitch distortion. She patted it into a regular shape and pinned it out to dry without stretching. The size change, but it's not shrinkage, she says. There's some overall increase in the halo. The nups look better in worsted. And when she wears it, she still gets that same absent-minded itch. Um... But she would um, amend her hand squish grab to say that she thought thinks that the next skin softness um, is best for less sensitive areas. Thank you very much for that, Deb. Um, uh, Erica Eccles again washed hers in ha uh, hot water with wool wash. She pressed my hands on the swatch as it, as it immersed down in the water and I can feel a faint tickle of air as the bath saturates and soaks the wool stitches. Uh, the colour of the wool changes um, in the light outside. Overcast afternoons, she says, gives way 
two shifts that are almost grey in the wool. She says, clear skies show oatmeal and a warm, almost rice pudding glow. This isn't a highly glossy wool. It's a beautiful flat matte hue uh, that takes on a delicate luster the more it is worn and has skin contact. Thank you, Erica Eccles, Lisa Jane. Um, and of course, dry gardening did a third wash block and wear. She tossed it in with laundry again. Uh, on that same uh, wash cycle, uh, she patted it flat, pinned it to the mat without stretching it, air dried overnight. She says a bit more fuzzing on the surface and on the edges, but stitch patterns remain clearly visible. Swatch still pliable and low moderate drape. Post third wash, the size approximately changed 4.4% increase on the width and a a 2% decrease on the length, um, which is really interesting. Worn directly against the chest all day, no discomfort. Incredible. Well, I don't know about you listeners, but it already sounds like our wool explorers are totally sold on Norfolk Horn. Of course, I always ask on thoughts for use and uh, Belinda Bellara19 said, this yarn makes incredible cables. I think I will use the remaining big skein uh, to make myself a cable cowl. I don't do lace knitting at all, but I do think, uh, but I don't think this yarn would work well for it as it's too wooly and it would fluff up in the holes. I don't know if it would. I think I'll have to try knitting a lace swatch with what I've got left over and we can have a comparison in the in the wool work chat thread um, for Norfolk Horn because I think it's crisp enough um to to stand up to that well. She also said perhaps if it was worsted spun, it might be a bit more appropriate for lace. I'd kill for a big, cosy, hand-spun, hokey locatelli, super bulky grandpa cardigan with added cables made of Norfolk horn. Sounds good. And she she also added that this has been an amazing spinning and knitting experience. I can't recommend this fibre enough. For me, the Norfolk horn is easily in my top three fibres I've ever spun. The others being... Romney and Swaledale. She says I could wax lyrical for hours. Belinda, thank you so much for that incredible review. Um, Willie Ellie, <clears throat> she said what I like best about the fibre is the colour. Uh, spun a little more evenly, evenly than I managed, I'd make a sturdy jumper. Uh, Becky P, she said she was using the black bat Norfolk horn. She said, another nice yarn to have tried. I think this would be a good all-rounder and would be happy to use it for most garments. Penny Bro said, love this wool. The sheepy and st- It's sheepy and sturdy without being rough. Uh, she said, it's uh, got a bit of a halo, but good stitch definition, so it would work well for cable and lace. Good for cardigans and jumpers, mittens. Not sure about it touching the neck. Some of us are, some people are sensitive there. Uh, But no prickle when pressed against the skin after the second wash and block. Erica Eccles said, in the words words of an old Norfolk boy, this yarn is right beautiful. It's proper character. It changes very pleasantly over the course of knitting, washing, wearing. It's a yarn with a story. The swatch just keeps on getting nicer. The wear to the wool itself has been minimal, even though I've rubbed it um, really hard and been uh, not been over kind with it. 
Um, she said, I would definitely like to knit a cardigan or a jumper in this wool. I would say shawl, but I think it may be too warm for me. But if you're somewhere chilly, you would feel uh, you wouldn't feel the cold wrapped up in this. The definition of the texture stitches is really excellent, and they still look as nice when it was first wash. There's a slight softening, but on the whole, the stitches and the pattern look crisp, uh, without that autumn leaf shuffle when the swatch was being knit. Catherine Harding said it's an unassuming yarn at first, but definitely not to be overlooked. It really softened up with more than one wash and the stitches became very even and well defined. So I think it would make comfortable hats, mittens or jumpers. It might be better not next to the skin, but I think it would improve um, with time and repeated washing. The lace pattern I did looked great. I think it would work really well for textured knits or cables. Um, thank you very much for that, um, Catherine. Dry Gardening said, any textured or plain stitch pattern, super for cables, natural colour, patterning of the black, dark and white light fib- uh, fibres is outstanding. Resistant to felting appears. Um, projects of this yarn would be very durable because she's definitely given it that test, putting it, through the, putting it through the washing machine. And she says, wow, all round great yarn and fibre in every way and I heartily concur we use the same yarn and oh my word we need more Norfolk Horn breed specific yarns guys Mills Yarnies this is a beaut in a three plied it is just the epitome of a workhorse yarn it has spring it has life I'm gonna need a sweater quantity and <laughs> I think it's gonna make lots of really long-lived items. Um this just feels great, almost invisible next to the skin, and uh it's one that's surprised us all, me included. And this is again, I say it every time, this is what wool exploration is all about. It's about opening our eyes and seeing the potential and looking at apology coloured, natural coloured yarn. And thinking, "Mm, no, I don't think so. And getting to the end of it and going, oh, my word. Oh, wow. You know, um, washing, blocking, wearing once, twice. It it makes all the difference. And certainly where this yarn has been concerned, it's made all the difference. Um, I'm going to put links in the show notes so that you can find um, Norfolk Horn Yarn. I want to quickly go over to the uh, to the Woolwork Ravelry group um, because, I, as I said before, I had earburned a few folks uh, who had um, used Norfolk Horn in the past. And uh, Lara Lorelei, she said she bought Norfolk Horn from Black Bat, the same that Becky P probably used. Um, she purchased it as a fingering weight. She said it has a proper sleepy, uh, oh, sheepy smell. Uh, and even after quite a bit of wear, um, it's fantastic lovely to knit with evenly spun no splitting and she'd use it again she bought it at the royal norfolk show and she even met the sheep at the show who produced it she says i made a shawl with mine i'm happy to use this yarn for other projects it's got a great color a proper cream with amazing texture and a wonderful sheep smell if you find any norfolk horn buy it and use it you won't be disappointed uh, thank you very much lala lorelei um for that um Jose said I made a cardigan from mine it was iron weight and it also came from Black Bat years ago she said I dyed it um, so it lost some of the sheep smell 
Knitting was good. It was definitely wooly, but not harsh at all. I blocked the cardigan by putting it through the wool cycle in the machine and then drying it on a jumper board. And it came out wonderful. It's not soft to the touch. It's somewhere in the middle. It's so, so cosy and far more lustrous than you'd think. There's a little pilling on the sleeves, but more like a puffing up than a pill. And I think this will be hard wearing and super warm. And she's and I loved the, the knitting pattern as well. It was um, Savage Heart, a, a cardigan by Amy Christoffers. Um, and the other person I had earburned was um, Tilly Trout, who is Tumbly Home on Ravelry. And she says, I made some socks with my Norfolk Corn Iron that I bought from Brit Yarn. It um, I have a great fondness for these socks and have worn them many, many times to walk up mountains, to tramp to North Ronaldsea on beaches and salt marshes in wellies and walking boots. Mr Trout borrowed them once to go fly fishing in and the amazing thing about the magic wool is that they look as good as all, as new almost. Maybe a bit mucky after uh, being in my boots. <laughs> they hardly have any wear at all at the heels. They're not as soft as a soft thing, but I'm not bothered about that. They are lovely to hold and touch, not stiff or rope-like. One day I will make a warm cardigan with wool and a big and big leather covered buttons and I think it will last me to the end of days. I love it very much. I attach a photo of the socks as new and then taken two minutes ago and you will see how the wool has stood up. And oh my word, they look incredible. I'll try and put a picture in the show notes. Um, lovely, fantastic. Thank you so much um, to those who came in and, and talked about um, your well-loved Norfolk Horn items. And the next wool explanation that we're going to look at will be in the December podcast. So your deadline is the end of November and we're looking at the Welsh Mountain Group. So you have a choice of, of uh, breeds in this category. Black Welsh Mountain, South Welsh Mountain, Welsh Mountain, Badgerface, Torwen, Tordu uh, and Balwan. Uh, and so there's a lot to choose from in this one. Um, I have particularly gone with the um, mountain group. There are other hill breeds and lowland breeds in Wales. And we will look at some of them, um, you know, in wool explorations to come, no doubt. Um, but you have your choice and there's plenty of time to get involved. Um, you can head over to the wool work group on Ravelry and find the thread. Um, there's some links in there to where you can find... Black Welsh Mountain and Torwen and Tordu and Balwen and um, if you find any other sources then you can let us know if you're in North America then the Woolly Thistle definitely has some Black Welsh Mountain um, so um, please please join in if you if you think it sounds fun and you are participating in our growing knowledge of different breeds and um, I'm very grateful for that Have you been reading Esther Rutter's book, This Golden Fleece, A Journey Through Britain's Knitted History? I was very excited for this book, which was launched in September. 
maybe I was even more excited because I um, met with Esther at the beginning of the research for her book. Um, so I've been waiting. I've known about it for a long time and I've been eagerly awaiting it and it does not disappoint. And I'm sure um, you have uh, seen Esther at events around the country or you have heard her talk about the book on Women's Hour and there was a really uh, great episode of Free Thinking on Radio 4 um, called The Wooly Episode. I think it was called The Wooly Episode. I was at the launch um, of the book uh, at Golden Hair Books in Edinburgh and at Esther's Edinburgh Book Festival event with uh, Claire Hunter, the author of another really great book called Threads of Life. I do apologise. Jeremy Jean is, is uh, hi- hijacking this part of the episode um, while she rummages under the desk. Are you quite finished? I'm going to be interviewing Esther next month, which I'm really excited about. So if you have been reading along um, and you have burning questions for Esther about any part of her journey through uh, the knitted history of the British Isles and any of the items that she's made or any of the um, traditions that she's um, taken on as part of her challenge um, then please please do pose those questions you can do so over in the Woolwork Ravelry group there is a this golden fleece read-along thread in the group which is broken up into um, a couple of chapters each thread there's no de- by the way there's no deadline to that there's no hard and fast read-along it's just an opportunity to casually read along and comment on particular chapters if you so wish so if there are are questions you have about particular parts of Esther's journey um, through Britain's knitted, knitted history, then please do ask those questions. I'm going to have to go and see what this cat is doing. You're being a mischief. Come here while we do this last bit. Mischievous lady. Say hello. Something else that I want to mention on the podcast uh, today is that you may not have heard... Uh, that there is going to be a f- another ferret fest uh, at Fluff in Dundee. It's the 9th and 10th of November and uh, Leona is hosting the Knitting Goddess again and she's also having a day of workshops and you can find all the information uh, on the Fluff web- website. Ferret Fest is also going to be the last hurrah of the bricks and mortar shop at Fluff uh, at 164 Blacksmith Road. Uh, I'm sure I echo everyone's thoughts um, when I say I'm sad to see um, the shop go in Dundee, but I am very excited for what the future might hold for Miss Leona Jane Page. She's an incredible talent. You've heard me talk about um, her on the podcast and you've heard her on this podcast there are many of us who have incredible projects and incredible yarns in our stash, um, thanks to Leona. So um, Rusty Ferret has taken a small break and we'll be back in, a, in an online form. Uh, so we know that she's going to continue with her incredible, incredible creativity in um, other ways. But let's take a moment to say thank you very much, Leona, for the incredible community hub that you built at Fluff. And um, thank you so much for being one of my most favourite purveyors of fine yarn ever. Uh, Long may you continue with Rusty Ferret uh, and long may your creative juices flow 
in whichever way they uh, inform they so wish to do so in the future. We'll work, listeners. Thank you very much for joining me today. As you can hear, uh, I'm not very well. <laughs> Try not to uh, mention at the top of the show, but uh, um, yeah, I've not, I've not been, I've not been well. I've had this horrible cold, and um, while I feel infinitely better than I did this time last week, um, I sound crap, and I'm still quite a bit congested. But thank you very much for sticking sticking through uh, to the end if you did um i will promise to edit out every sniff and cough um one of the first bits of advice that any podcaster ever gave me and it was louise hunt my good friend lacy to my cagney she said don't sniff on your podcast don't have don't get a sniff in there it's disgusting and you don't realize how disgusting sniffs are until you hear them on a podcast in your ear when you're on the bus so it's very true it's very true. Before we go, I just want to say a very, very, very quick hello to the new kids in the Woolwork Ravelry group. Uh, we've got Francis Nitz 3, who is Francis from the Highlands in Scotland. We've got Taran Diella, who is Rose from Auckland, New Zealand. We've got Poppy Twistery, who is Michelle from Buckinghamshire. We've got Knitting Genie P, who is Jean from Melbourne. Hi to you. We've got Nordwalk uh, Nina from Germany. Or should that be Nordvalk? I'm sorry, I'm rubbish at names. I'm rubbish at pronouncing things. Sorry, Nina. Joy O'Don, who is Joy from Dublin. Really lovely to have you join the Woolwork group and I hope you find um, lots of um, interesting things in there. Um, so thank you all for your um, connections and your interactions and um, both in the Woolwork Ravelry group and uh, on Twitter and Instagram. I will be doing a, you know, rec- when I have a voice that doesn't sound all croaky and snotty, I will be recording a new intro and um, out um, uh, part for this podcast but uh, in lieu of that uh, this is just to remind you that you can find me on Instagram at underscore woolwork and for the time being you'll also find me at www.knitbritish.net and if you need to get in touch with the podcast for any reason there is a contact form on the website Until next time, my chums, thank you for joining me for the first Woolwork podcast and the 120th podcast in all. I will be back next month. Take good care. Bye for now. Sing it, just sing